verse this morning, one from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, and then we'll be over in John 15, verses 1 to 11. So Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. But if fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. John 15, verses 1 to 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that they they may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good to be with you. Uh, I, I, I think, I would hope, that after that song being sung two weeks by the kiddies and the rest of you, that uh, you will all know the fruit of the Spirit off by heart. Can I get you to sing it for me? Okay, I'm just kidding. It's great to be with you this morning. My name is Glenn, if you're visiting here this morning. Uh, we are uh, in a series in the book of Galatians, the letters to the Galatian churches. Um, last week, we looked at verses 16 to 25. I promised last week that we would come back and look at the encouraging part, still challenging, but the encouraging part, and delve more deeply into the fruit and ask the question, okay, that's what it is, but how do I get it? How do I get the fruit of the Spirit in my life? How is it produced? How do I bear much fruit as we see in John 15? We'll look at that today. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to go more deeply into that. A little bit of a reprise to set us in our minds and our hearts as to where we're at here today. You guys all know or should know the story by this point in time. Paul has written this letter to the churches in Galatia because he's concerned about these false teachers, these men who've come down from Jerusalem into the churches, and they're preaching a different gospel, which Paul says is not really a gospel at all. It's a gospel of Jesus, yes, faith in Jesus, yes, but you still need to be Jewish and you still need to do works of the law. But in chapter 5, verse 7, Paul actually hints to us, I think, at something else that's been going on. It, it isn't just that, you know, five, six, seven years after these churches have been planted that, that people are being led astray by this gospel of works. It's because something else, I think, is happening that is pretty typical in the Christian life, at least in the years that I've been a Christian, in my own life and in the life of those that we've been discipling or have seen growing in the faith, there seems to be this challenge that's happening. And I think the challenge is, and I think most of you will probably recognize it, is that at first, at least, in coming to faith in Jesus Christ, there's like a woohoo, right? There, there's a point in time where you, you, you literally almost feel like a saint, right? Or you should. There should be this realization that what I was, I, I, I am no longer, and I don't want to go back there, but, but then there's, and, and there's this new life in Christ, and, and the Word and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you're throwing off a bunch of things. I can remember very clearly some of the things that I left behind back when I was 23 years of age, like, I didn't know it was Jesus saves, but it was, for me, it was Jesus shaves. Like, I got a haircut. It was very long. Stopped smoking cigarettes. All kinds of things went away. And I experienced this new life in Christ. But then something happens. It happens to all of us as a Christian. And it happened in Galatia, where they got to the point where it was like, okay, wait a second. Is that it? Because I'm experiencing life in this world, and, and I thought Jesus and I thought this faith in Christ was going to make things all better, and, and things were going to improve, and actually I find my life just as difficult, if not more so. Well, we saw last why, why? Last week, pardon me, why, right? There's this old life 
There's this sinful nature that we were born with that had rule and reign in our lives completely on its own before Christ comes into our life, before the Holy Spirit comes into our life. And this battle goes on. But there's also something else going on. There's growth, right? And so what most people do at that point in their lives is they go to the two extremes that are not freedom in Christ that we've been seeing throughout this letter. One is to legalism, right? They get to this point where, oh, Christian life is hard. I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know what to do. Well, they they become legalistic. And they what, what do they do? Well, they try harder, right? Keeping all the rules, doing things out of what? Obligation or hope that it's going to get better. It works. Or people, you know, switch over to license and go, well, you know, actually, it's all by grace, and so I shouldn't be too worried about this this tough part. I should just rest in Jesus, and, you know, if I sin or whatever, it's okay, you know, and, and, but then also people sometimes flip over to the Jesus plus in a different way, you know, psychobabble, self-help, right, new age mysticism, and why? Why is this happening? Well, really, I think we're going to see today, and what Paul is getting at in the letter to the Galatians, it's probably because we, we, we understand what it, comes to, what it means to come to faith in Jesus and what the cross accomplished, but we haven't got to know this person called the Holy Spirit very well. We, we haven't really understood his part of our life, how total and complete it is, and how it can produce those things that we see are the fruit of the Spirit. And as I said last week, do you, do you not want all of that? I mean, you look at the sins, all that stuff. We're not going to go back into it today. It's the last time I promise, I hope I'll repeat that. Is you look at that, we go, surely we want to leave that behind. Surely we want all of this. And so listen, what, what I think we need to do, I'm going to show you three things today, I hope, in this message today, uh, which is the Spirit-Led Life Part 2. And it's three things this. Number one, the promised Spirit. We're going to need to go back a little bit and, and see how Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and why, so that we'll understand his role in our lives. Secondly, the fruitful Spirit. We're going to see how he is the fruitful one, not us so much. He is the fruitful one. And lastly, the fruitful Christian life. What it really looks like and how awesome and amazing it is. So before we dive back in, can I pray one more time? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you once again for this day. Thank you for, Father, gathering us here today. Many of us know each other. Some of us don't. But we're here gathered today. You are the one who has called us to be here. Holy Spirit, you are the one who led us to be here. So we thank you so much for that. We, we commit this time to you. We commit these words to you. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. Eliminate these, illuminate these words to us. Help us as we prayed last week that these words, this this teaching would go from our head to our hearts and we would truly be transformed and changed people who truly do live for Jesus Christ. So I just want to pray these things and ask for your wisdom and guidance at this point. In Jesus' worthy name, amen. So point number one is the promised spirit. Um, If you remember John 14, uh, this is when Jesus really began to introduce his disciples at that time to the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, he starts off the story in the beginning of chapter 14. It's kind of shocking. He, he tells his disciples, listen, I'm leaving you. Right? And th- their understanding of who he was and why he was here was completely different. And we don't have time to delve into that too much. But they thought he was basically, if he is the Messiah, going to come and rule and reign now. And he says, I'm going to leave you. And he's going away. He starts by telling them, now listen, don't worry about that. I don't want you to be afraid or worried that I'm going away. Um, and, and he's going away, he tells them, to prepare a place for them, a beautiful place. And then he says this strange thing. He says, you already know where I'm going, right? But of course, a guy by the name of Thomas is there. He's doubtful on a good day, right? And he's, he says these words. He says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Well, he's an honest guy. I like that about Thomas. He's an honest guy. He, he, he says he doesn't know. And so you all know the answer that Jesus gives, right, in the very next verse, where he tells them that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him. But then he adds these words. This is important to our context today. If you had known me, if you had known me, Jesus says, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Now, those were astounding words. Shocking words. Those Pharisees and, and legal people who were religious people who were following him were like, there, you see? 
That's what we've been saying about him. He's calling himself God. The disciples heard that and were like, well, we think he said that, but they still didn't quite understand everything that he was saying. But I hope you do hear what he's saying. They didn't (laughs) whatsoever. Philip, for example, at that time, one of the disciples who's there, pipes up and says, okay, okay, well, if that's the case, show us the Father. (laughs) Ask him to come out here where we are, just reveal himself, show himself to us. Clearly, um, they don't get it, and Jesus, his reply is kind of like, guys, how long have I been with you? (laughs) It's been a couple of years at this point. And his response is, how long have I been with you and we've been together and you still do not know who I am? So it's somewhat excusable for the Galatians and from you and I sometimes in our Christian walk to get to a point where it's like, Jesus must be going, guys, do you still not get it? You're not there yet? But he's patient, right? He didn't just tell them, I'm done with you and forget about the cross. He kept going. So he goes on to make it very clear that the Father and he is one. It's a beautiful passage about this oneness, that the Father is in him and that he is in the Father. But at the same time, he declares to them this, that while he is on earth, it is the Father who is speaking through him. He is fully submitted to the Father in everything. It is really the Father's will and the Father's heart and the Father's words that I am speaking to you, and I have been doing these things so that I can, and submitting to him so that I can be doing these incredibly good works, serious works that need to be done in this day, which is to disciple you and die for you. And then he says to them, you know, that same work, I'm going to be giving to you. And that's why he says, I need to return to the Father. Because I cannot do this in my own power and strength as a human being. I am doing this in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what you're going to need. And then he says these words, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, Jesus himself being our first and foremost helper, right? To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But look at this. You know him. You know him. For he dwells in you and will be with you. Now, he's actually speaking future tense, but he's speaking present tense because he wants them to get this. The Father and I are one. We, through the Holy Spirit, are going to be one with you. We're going to be with you forever. And so that's the promised Holy Spirit, verse chapter 14. We're going to come back. But first, let's go to point number two, the fruitful spirit, and go to our Ephesians passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So... I think first, let's, uh, what we need to do is run through each fragment. Remember last week, I, I made the point, it's an important point, uh, it's not fruits of the Spirit, it's singular, it's a fruit, it's a, it's a totality, it's a total piece. Um, I gave you an interesting illustration last week, analogy of a disco ball, some of you got it, some of you didn't. Uh, how about a diamond, you know, that is beautiful and refracts light and has all these different facets to it, um, but it's a diamond, and these are the characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And so, again, it's, it's not fruits of the Spirit or, look at this, works of the Spirit. Now, that would have been the, the proper corollary, right, for Paul because he would already talks about works of the flesh. So he, maybe he, he probably should have used works of the Spirit as comparison, but he deliberately didn't do that. It was singular and it was the flesh. And so instead it looks like Paul wants to avoid, hear me, giving any impression that what the Spirit produces is our works. Actually, it's His fruit. That's a big deal. (laughs) Because again, listen, it's not up to us to produce this fruit. It's up to Him to produce produce it in us. That's again a great relief, isn't it? It was nothing that we needed to do to earn our salvation. Jesus did it all. There's nothing that we need to do per se ultimately, to receive the fruit of the Spirit. It is His work. So let's look at each facet of the fruit of the Spirit as those things in life that we, A, 
do want to over-desire or lust for, we looked at those words last week, B, also realize that there is an infiniteness to them. In other words, we can have as much of the fruit of the Spirit that we want. It is available over here, and you can go for it all day, and it's good. It's good, and it's always good. So let's look at them individually. You all know what the first one is, right? It's the word love. In our world today, that's a complex word, complex word, because it's so ill-defined, and quite frankly, in a lot of cases, it's turned into lust, because it's been sexualized so deeply. But the word actually is the Greek word agape, which is the highest form of love in the Scripture, and it generally refers to the love of God toward us. So it's the father heart love. But here's a good definition, I think, for us of love. Biblically speaking, it's vulnerability. It's, it's the kind of love that opens oneself to another person or someone else to, ser- to serve them purely for who they are and not what you can get in return. That, that's why it's uh, attributed so much to God. God. Everything that God has done for us is not because He expects us to do something in return for Him. And it's not because we were so good that we deserve to be loved. It's because he's love. Because God is love. And he performed that for us. And so it's not for selfish reasons. Like what another person can bring to you. It is purely because when when you look at this person or when you consider this person's worth and value in our world today, created in the image of God, you love them intrinsically for who they are. Not because of anything they can do for you. That changes love. <laughs> and I want to show you a couple of things. There's an opposite and a counterfeit to all these things. Now, what would be in your mind the opposite? What is, in our world anyway, what do people think is the opposite of love? Anybody? Hate? Right. It's not. But that's what we think in this world, that the opposite of love is hate. It's a misunderstanding of the word and its purpose in our lives. The opposite is actually Fear. It's fear. Um, it's, it, it, it results in us being self-protective. Well, I, I want to be careful. I don't really want to open myself up to someone and, and just, you know, uh, completely love them and, and love them regardless, you know, of them having not proven that they deserve my love and opening up my... I could, I could get hurt. It's a self-protection. The reality is, is, I don't remember who said this, but I heard someone say, it's actually impossible to love and be self-protective at the same time. Think about that one. I have. It's a great statement. It's truth. You cannot love someone and at the same time being self-protective. The, the, the counterfeit to that is, of course, uh, selfish affection. Attracted not to the person, but to how that person, thing, whatever it might be, will, will make you feel better about yourself. And so it's, it's a counterfeit. It's selfishness. And so these are the different facets just even of love. Joy. Uh, joy is an interesting one. Of course, most of us in our world today would think joy means I'm happy. You know, I'm just happy. I'm joyful because I'm happy right at this moment. It doesn't last very long. It's, it's momentary, but it's not that again. And you're gonna, we're going to see something amazing about these first three, I hope, today as we finish with them. But joy is, again, actually delight in God and who he is. Ultimately, that's what biblical joy is. The joy, the fruit part, the joy part of the fruit, I should say, is delighting in God. Think about that. So many things in our lives are, are circumstantial, can, can provide happiness in the moment, but fade. That's not joy. <laughs> that is not the definition of joy. The defin- definition of joy is something that never, ever, ever lets you down, never removes that feeling. Who can do that? Only one person can do that, our perfect and loving Heavenly Father. So the opposite, obviously, of joy is a sense of hopelessness. People get that way even with happiness, don't they? I mean, you're happy, happy, and then life is hard, life is hard, life is hard. It's like the last time I was happy seems like so long ago, I don't think it's ever going to happen again. I do not think the rain is going to stop. 
I'm not joking about that. That's a serious thing for many of us. But it's, it, it creates a sense of hopelessness and despair. That's the opposite of joy, which can be present actually all the time in our lives. And, of course, the counterfeit to that would be, be this um, uh, emotional elation, you know. You, you work yourself up to being joyful. People can do that even in, in religious practice, even coming to sing worship songs, you know, like I, I can get excited. It can elevate me into a, a momentary elation. But here's the thing. The counterfeit, these emotive elations actually come from the blessings and not the bless or. That's why it's a counterfeit, because the joy is from God. Peace. I'm going to get through most of these really quickly now. Peace is confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than your own. Again, the things that we, we look to to give us peace in this world, right? Peace, peace, peace. I mean, my, I mean politics, the world, today, every day. Peace, really? Is it ever going to come from man and the things that we're doing of man? So peace, again, is, is God, and it's, it's the rest and trust in him that he's got this and that he's sovereign and that it's true when we say God is good to everyone all the time. His will will be revealed. The opposite is anxiety and worry, and who wants that? The counterfeit is uh, an indifferent attitude. It's people who kind of go, who cares? Right? Well, that's the opposite. That's the counterfeit of peace. It's like, well, why worry? Patience is, is the ability to take whatever comes your way, trouble, even abuse from others or life without losing it. I got to admit to you, um, we had some discussions at small group last week about this. this. This is, I don't know, as part of the fragments, this, this one's not reflecting too greatly from Glenn sometimes, right? It, it, it's the most challenging one, I think. It's the ability not to do this, but to suffer joyfully. The opposite really is resentment toward God and others. It's anger. <laughs> I asked the question in a small group last week, how many people, you know, when, whenever you're in a situation where nobody's around, right? You're in the garage, you trip over something, you bang your head, and you curse. <laughs> any, don't raise your hands, but just think about it, okay? Any confessions here? I mean, <clears throat> I'm your pastor. I would never do that, but... Yeah, it, the idea here is that there is patience and uh, that we do not resort to anger. Um, a counterfoot would be um, cynicism or um, a self-righteous attitude that says, yeah, this situation is too small to be bothered about. Kindness. Um, kindness is a generous spirit. And this, again, is hard for a lot of us because it's really about delighting in other people's success, right? So it's a generous spirit that says, you, you got to buy that beautiful home? Good for you. No, really? Gosh, that's awesome, guys. That's so awesome. Without any of, I wish that would happen to me. No, it's a generous spirit. The opposite is envy, the inability to rejoice in others' joy. And goodness, goodness is actually, the Greek word would be better in, uh, translated integrity. I think this is a really good one. Uh, it's basically honesty and transparency, being the same in one situation as another. And again, like I just alluded to a few minutes ago in, when it comes to patience, when no one is around to see you being full of integrity, right? Um, the opposite is phoniness, hypocrisy. One of the things that we as Christians uh, which ruins our fruitfulness in our walk when people see this in us. Uh, the counterfeit is, of course, truth without love. Um, I thought of an illustration of this would be, uh, you, you know, like you're, you're not really a person who has this facet of the fruit of the Holy Spirit growing in you, and your integrity is such that you yourself have got your own issues, but when you're talking to somebody, uh, Christian or non, and they're involved in some kind of activity um, that, that is sinful or just not good, and yet you're just really self-righteous now, and you're in their face going, well, you know, let me just tell you what the Bible says about that. And by the way, you know, like you're a sinner for doing that. I just imagine a person looking at me at this point in time when I'm behaving this way going, just a second, excuse me, did you just come to Jesus like 30 seconds ago? Because I'll tell you what, a week ago when we were having a different conversation, you weren't a Christian. <laughs> this is how the integrity is a big deal and it's important to have. 
Next would be faithfulness, which is loyalty, courage to be loyal all the time, to be principle-driven, committed, utterly and completely reliable, the kind of people who say, I'll be there for you, or at this time, and you're there. Like Little things like that are aspects of faithfulness. And I'm just going to move on. Gentleness, which is really, again, a, a word that would be better translated humility. Um, it, it's uh, self-forgetfulness. I think it's Tim Keller who says, it's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's a great way to look at humility, which is gentleness. And finally, self-control. The ability to choose, uh, I've written here, the urgent over the important thing. And the opposite is a driven, impulsive, uncontrolled person. Counterfeit, willpower through pride or through more functional idols. This is a big one. I mean, it's funny how it ends with that one, right? Self-control. But this is a fruit, a facet of the Holy Spirit. You want 150%, a million percent of any of these? I sure do. And those facets need to grow. So I, I hope that that was helpful and, um, and that we, we understand what those facets look like and what the characteristics of them are. But the most important thing is that we get to the question that we promised to answer last week, and that is, how do you and I receive, get, and attain, or produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul has already given us the answer, in part, in the negative and in the positive, right? In the negative, uh, he points to, actually to the positive, but he says first in the negative, in verse 24, he says, and those who, again, I love this, belong to Christ. It's not your life, it's not my life. In Christ, it's his life being lived in you and through you. Belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So, so we see that there is something we do need to do daily, which is why Jesus said, and I quoted last week, take up your cross daily and follow me. Paul, when he's using this word crucify here, he's pointing to that, right? He's pointing to the cross which is the reference when he says crucify, and therefore we're to follow in the way of Christ in our lives. So now he, he's already also given us the positive, though. And the positive is interesting. And it goes back to verse 16, um, before we run into all those sins of the flesh, which is great. And it's really the seminal verse, I think, in this passage where he says in verse 16, but I say, look at this, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify right, the desires of the flesh. So I don't know about you, but do you see right away what he's saying, what he's saying here? Well, again, in the negative, he's not saying this. He's not saying, walk by the Spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh or of the over-desires of the sinful nature. That's actually how a legalist, by the way, would read those verses, right? They would read it that way. Uh, they, they, would, they would say, yeah, that's what we need to do. Right? In order to walk in the Spirit, we need to participate by doing this. Actually, Paul is saying that if you are focused on, hear this, walking, being led in the steps of the Holy Spirit, you won't. You won't do what you do not want to do. Instead, you will do what you want to do. It's beautiful. So walking by the Spirit, then, is what we do when the desires, hear this, produced by the Holy Spirit in us are stronger, literally over-desire the desires produced by the flesh. This means that walking by the Spirit is not something we do in order to get the Spirit's help. It's because we have His help. I find that incredibly encouraging. I hope you do, because this is the, this is the, the crux of getting from being a Christian knowing that you are saved eternally, but being alive today fully in the way that we need to be, and we're called to be as Christians. So this takes us now to point number three, which is the, the fruitful Christian life. So just like the picture we saw about the fruit in Galatians, turn to John 15 with me, if you will. That's where we're going to be for most of the rest of this. Um, Jesus also uses the world of agriculture in this passage, um, especially and particularly the vineyard. And in doing this, he's going to explain to us who God is, what he has done, who we are, right? 
and how then we should live the whole grand story of God. And so keep this in mind as we unpack this passage. Let me give you this first. Jesus is the one speaking. These are his words. If you open your Bibles and you've got a red letter edition, they're in red. All of these words are Jesus speaking. He is the vine. The Father is the owner of the vineyard. You and I are the branches. And there's someone else here. Not literally named, right, in the passage, but he is the producer of the fruit. The Holy Spirit, right? He's here. So again, it's one of these passages that's beautiful. The Trinity of God is present in this. So are you and I. We're in this passage. It's remarkable. So I want you also to remember that this passage, chapter 15, is exactly smack dab in the middle of Jesus' whole teaching to his disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's powerful. It's an important passage. So look what he says. In verses 1 and 2, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So right right away, you're going to see three things. And I've given you more note room, but there's also more on the back of your pages if you have them there with you and you're taking notes, because there's a lot here. I realize that. But three things we see right away. Number one, branches, if you read this, it's right there, are made and designed to be fruitful. So there's purpose, right? Number two, fruitful branches get pruned. The rest are taken away. And number three, fruitful branches are designed to bear even more fruit, right? So this tells us there's there's a progression in the Christian life. There's a progression that we're, we're supposed to see in the Christian life. And you all know how a branch gets its start, right? It's a little bit like how we looked at just any tree or fruit last week. But every branch gets its start basically because there's, there's this little bud that comes out of the side of the root of the vine or the, 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 the trunk, I should say, uh, of the vine. And it starts off this little, little tiny bud. And it starts to make its way, right? And then it starts to come out and it's this really little flimsy little thing. It looks barely like the branch of a leaf, and then it starts to grow, and it gets browner, and it starts to come out, and it, it, it reveals it. But it takes time. Even that part of the, the life of the branch takes time. It starts out very small. It's weak. But here's the important part. It remains, hopefully, healthy part of the vine. It's green. It's got life in it. It's sucking marrow out of the vine, and it's, it's getting there. It's not all the way there yet. And eventually it becomes a solid branch. And finally, finally, once it's a solid branch and it's been out there for enough of the season, fruit appears. That's remarkable. And so along the way, however, we've seen in order for this fruit to become fruitful, it is ne- it's going to need some pruning. It's going to need tending, watering, and sunshine. So look, again, see the, see the progression here is amazing in this passage. In verse 2, we see, first of all, from no fruit to, to some fruit to more fruit, to much fruit. And then in verse 5, it says, and finally to fruit that remains in verse 16, pardon me. This is, in fact, what the life of a fruitful Christian is supposed to look like, what we are, in fact, designed to be. It, again, (laughs) reminds me, most things do, of Genesis 1. Go forth and what? (laughs) Multiply. And it doesn't just mean physical babies in our families, which it does. It, It means being fruitful people that create fruit that resembles Jesus Christ, disciples. So I want to show you four keys about this, really four key attributes about this fruit. Number one, fruit always looks like the vine or the source of what it's growing out of. We just looked at the facets of the fruit of the Spirit, and what does it resemble? It's more like who it resembles, right? Well, in this particular case, it res- all of the fruit that we read, right, love, peace, joy, all of those characters and facets, who, who, if you were to name one person in all of history that all of those facets of the fruit of the Spirit resemble, who would it be? You guys are... It's a sunny day. Thank you. Flannel graph winner over here. It's awesome. Sunday school. Jesus. That's who it resembles. It, res- it resembles our Lord, Right? And that's what it is. And he is the vine. So we learn this about fruit, and it's true in nature, and therefore it must be true in you and I. It always bears the character of the tree or the vine that it's attached to. It always does. 
Um, apples, <laughs> you see an apple, it's an apple tree, right? You see an orange, it's an orange tree. You see grapes, it, it, it's a vine. You, you know what it is. Fruitful Christians then look like Jesus and model his character and conduct in their lives. So that's point number one, is that fruit looks like its source. That's what it's intended to do. This one's really interesting. Number two is fruit is intended to be seen. It's intended to be visible and actually colorful and beautiful and amazing, which is why people many years ago, we don't know how long ago, depending on whether you're a scientist or a biblicist, you know, they just saw it on a tree and they went, this looks beautiful. Let's try it, right? It's, it's supposed to be seen, so it's true that the fruit of any tree or vine is that eventually it is visible. It's seen, right? And, and you will know what uh, about that tree from its... You will know, pardon me, the question is, what will you know about the tree from its fruit? Well, again, you'll know what kind of tree it is. Uh, you'll know that it's an apple tree, an orange tree, or if it's a vineyard, in a vineyard, if it's grapes, it's a vine. You'll know. It, 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 as humans, we completely understand and know that. So, so, Christian, in this room, let me ask you this. Can people in Squamish, in your work, in your school, or wherever you might be, can they know who you really are if your fruit is not visible? Can they know? Well, let me ask you in a different way. What fruit is visible? How would someone who knows you, where you live, where you work, where you play, define who you are from the fruit that they see? Does the fruit you are bearing really resemble the vine you are a branch of? Tough questions, but literally, this, this is part of a fruitful Christian life is actually being who you're supposed to be. And being a Christian and not living out the Christian life is where the struggle arises, is where the lack of love, peace, and joy comes from in our lives. So this is a key for us, right? Uh, you, you will not bear any fruit if your faith and dependence on Jesus alone and the power of the Holy Spirit is not being known in the way that you walk out this Christian life. And so, so hear this. The, these, these, these visible signs of the fruit need to be seen in you in your walk. So it's not, again, it's not about you doing those things because we're going to see in a moment how, again, these come up in our lives. So that's number two. Number three is fruit, get this, is actually to be consumed, right? It's to be eaten. Uh, every fruit that we've been talking about are, are fruits that most of us would go, yeah, I'll have some of that. You know, it's a little acidic for me, the orange, but I still like it. I'll eat it. Um, it does something to my stuff. I like oranges, but they're, fr- they're to be eaten. And so the point that that tells us is that actually our fruit is not for us. It's not for you and I. Um, it, it is not for you and I to enjoy and savor. In fact, it is obviously for others to enjoy and savor. So fruit is to be eaten, not by the one bearing the fruit, but by others. And I love this. As one preacher I heard recently say, he said this, the only kind of fruit that eats itself is rotten. <laughs> it's a good saying. It's a true saying. So there's an important lesson or picture here, I think, for us. On the one hand, our goal as Christians is to bear much fruit and for the sake of others, but sometimes we find that we are those kind of people who like to enjoy the fruit of others as much as possible and not be as generous with our own fruit. Well, why might that be the case? Well, it might be because there's just not a lot of fruit yet to share. How do we get there? Well, let's see. Point number four says this. Fruit needs pruning to produce best. Uh, This is the part of the Christian life I think that most of us, when we think about it, we didn't sign up for, right? I didn't sign up for what pruning in the Christian life looks like, but here's what it is. In the vineyard, pruning is necessary. It's absolutely necessary. I love going up to the Okanagan, to the Naramata bench, and there's different times of the year when you can go up there. You go up there in the winter, and all the vines are like excuse me, naked, right? There's just the vine, it's cut right back. But even when you go there, I love going during the, the early part of the season and they're out there, the, the workers are out there trimming back, cutting a little bit here, a little bit there, bringing back the branches, dropping it onto the grand, ground, it's permaculture, it's all good, right? And, and on and on it goes until at some point there's big bunches of fruit and it's amazing. But the process is incredibly necessary and it's important, and yet the truth is, the truth is, pruning is 
painful to the plant. Pruning is very, very painful to the plant. However, again, the response of the plant is interesting. It causes the plant not to go into a protection mode. No, instead it causes the plant to go into a healing and restorative mode. The plant goes to work on restoring that part and, and bringing more sap and more energy to that part so that eventually the fruit will be born. So in this parable, Jesus is speaking about those Christians who have already been showing signs of growth. They're, they're already showing signs of growth, who have been bearing fruit already in a few seasons. And he's saying, I, or the, the, vine, the vine owner, the father, is going to help you bear much more fruit. And so what it is he does, what does he do in the Christian's life? This is great. This is what you signed up for. He sends trials, right? He sends trials, testings. But look at this. They're mere circumstances in our lives where the fruit of the Spirit will be called upon to heal and restore us and then bear more fruit. And I know that's hard, especially with, when we think about it within our body, the circumstances that some of us have been through and are going through. And we ask ourselves, really, Lord? <laughs> really? Like, to that family? To that person? That? Man, it's hard, right? But, but how many times have you seen in people's lives the people who have endured these testings, these trials, and it has strengthened them, and that fruit has come out of their life? or out of that story, or out of that circumstances. And when it does, how incredibly beautiful it is. So I, I think, unfortunately, many of, us, many of us obviously get the wrong idea. Sometimes what happens is people are like, Lord, I, I was growing. Like, I was going to church pretty much every week. Like, you know, I, I was giving. I was serving. I was doing these things. I was reading my Bible more. You know, I, I was doing, the, up until February anyway, I was doing the daily readings, and then this. And this discouragement that comes around us creates, unfortunately, two wrong responses. One is that God is not happy with me, and the second is maybe God doesn't love me as much as I thought. But both wrong. Both wrong. He loves you more. And it's likely, if you look back, it's because you've been bearing fruit. You've been bearing fruit, and it's good that he's doing this. So now we have a, a better handle, I hope, on the goal of the fruit and that we need to be fruit-bearing disciples. We need... We, we still need to see this. I think you're still probably asking this question, because I would be. <laughs> I still need some help here, Glenn. I still need help. And Jesus gives us the help right here. It's beautiful. And it's actually in one word. It's the word abide. It's where, the, it's where all the help comes from. In verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, abide in me. Not Glenn. Abide in me, Jesus. Right? As the branch you cannot bear fruit by yourself... Unless you abide in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. No kidding. Ah, it's encouraging words. I remember preaching this passage um, literally about 25 years ago. I think it was one of the first sermons I ever preached. It wasn't that good. Um, I'm not saying this one is, but it really wasn't probably that good. But I remember at that time, the Lord speaking to me, and, 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 and I, I think it's still true. I, I think I got this part right. Uh, that, that word could literally be taken when Jesus uses this word in this passage, in this context. It's like he's literally saying this, love us back. He's speaking as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit here. And, and he, he, in verse 9, Jesus says that the way that the Father loves him is the way that Jesus loves us, and that abiding looks like us not just resting in, absorbing, oh, this is a great emotional experience. No, it, it, it's, it's actually us loving them back, being in a real relationship where love truly exists, which means in a relationship like that, that kind of love is reciprocal. That's beautiful love. That's when love is, I didn't love you expecting that I would feel this way because you love me back so much, but, but you do? That's incredible. So it requires being in, abiding in that love, that relationship, not religion, but in that kind of a relationship, which is amazing. And so I still think that's a good way to see this word, is that Jesus is saying, love us back. 
in the way that we've been loving each other and modeling that for you, but in the way that we also love you. A little bit of an illustration that uh, maybe can help also apply that to our lives today. It comes, uh, again, I heard this from another uh, a preacher one time, which I'm sure he heard it from Martin Lloyd-Jones or somebody who's dead now. It's a great But for those of you who are tea drinkers, right? And I don't know if you know, if you're serious tea drinkers, have you ever been to the hotel there in Victoria and you watch the tea drinkers? There's two kind of tea drinkers. One I find very annoying. They're called the dippers. You know, they got the tea bag on, on a string, right? And they're like dipping it in and out of the water, right? It's going in and out of the hot water. And apparently that's, the, in some people's minds, that's the best way to make your tea, right, is to keep dipping. I know, people are shaking their heads. I think it's ridiculous, right? Because I'm like, put the tea bag in the bottom of the cup, pour the hot water over it. You know what happens when you do that, right? There's air in the bag that you didn't really know. So the bag comes up at the top, right, and you use a spoon to poke it to make it go down, right? Anybody done that? And, and of course, then with the tea bag, it, it just absorbs, right? It absorbs the water in that particular relationship with the tea. And so there's a bit of an illustration there for us in our Christian walk, right? Um, Some believers just dip into daily devotions. We we just dip into church. We just dip into community, community. We just dip into tithing or giving, right? Actually, it's more like tipping, right? Or, or serving. You know, we do it for a time and a season, and then we, 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 we're just not there. We're not consistent. We're not, we're not being, we're not abiding. We're not abiding. We're not absorbing. Again, the, 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 that is an impossible way to bear fruit in your life. It, it won't happen. It just doesn't happen. And yet we, we so I want to encourage you, if, if, that, if you're a dipper, abide, Abide, right? Be in the family. Be immersed in the family, which, by the way, is where Jesus is present. If he's in the Father and he's in us through the Holy Spirit, then where Jesus is present is in the body. Amen? Somebody say it. That's where he is. And so you need to abide there. You need to be there. So next in verse 6, Jesus warns that those who do not abide in him, listen, they'll just end up being branches that literally dry up. If they're just dippers, if they're, they'll be branches that just dry up and on their own, and they'll fall off even from a light breeze. They'll get picked up by the gardener, and they'll be used for kindling because they're not much use for anything else. And that's sad. There are Christians who allow that, their, their lives to, to go that way. In verse 7 and 8, he says, If you, however, abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you for... Th- by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove, that's the key word, to be my disciples. There is a way for you and I to prove that we're fruit and that we're disciples of Jesus Christ, and that is to be seen in the world to be such, right? To, to go into this world, right? And by doing this, the Father is glorified. It's a beautiful picture, proving that we are branches in the vine that is Jesus Christ, In verses 9 and 10, he goes on, he says, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. And so Jesus showed us and the Father how much he loved the Father by doing what? By being faithful and by keeping his Father's commandments. 100% perfectly. Not something you and I can do, but we can strive for for certain. And that is how you and I Love Jesus and the Father back is by keeping their commandments. In verse 11, he concludes with this. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The Greek word for full is actually overflowing, 150%. More than you could ever imagine. That brings us back to our key verse, verses for today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. I, I got to show you a couple more things before we close and inclusion, conclusion today because they're, they're awesome in the way this is presented by uh, our, our Heavenly Father. Do, do you see in those first three words, love, joy, peace, are, they, are you beginning to see the connection there? Can, can you see the connection there? I've alluded to it already today. Agape love is of the Father. The joy is what Jesus has just said he wants to fill you with. And the Holy Spirit is known in Scripture to be the dove of peace. (laughs) And so really, these fruits of the Spirit are the Godhead 
the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in us, being lived out in us. And, and a better way of putting it really would be this. God alone brings peace. We know this. Jesus Christ is the one who offers us peace, offers you peace here today if you don't know him as your Savior, through the cross, and the Holy Spirit is the giver of this peace. He is the one who dispenses it as a gift. And so with these three things undergirded and in us, the love, the joy, and the peace of God in us, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control flow out of that. Just naturally flows out of that. So look at this. Look at this. The Father sent Jesus, right? Jesus sent the Spirit. We know that they live in a community of three loving friends. Always abiding, always on the same page, always on the exact same wavelength. Why? Because they abide. Because they're unified. Because they're talking to each other. Because they know each other deeply. So watch this. Was that the end of the sending? Did it end with Jesus sending the Holy Spirit? And Well, you know, it's not where it ends. Jesus sends you and I in the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples who make disciples who bear much fruit. Jesus said he came to reveal the Father to us. If we have seen him, we have seen the Father. In the same way, Jesus sends the Spirit to us, and he says this about the Holy Spirit in John 16, the conclusion of the sending of the Holy Spirit to his disciples. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth. That's what it says and that's what it means. For he will not, again, speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. He will point to me. He will teach you everything about me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So now see this beautiful progression reversed as our conclusion this morning. The Spirit is pointing you and I to Jesus. Jesus points you and I to the Father, which completes the story of God and provides the last clue that you and I need to lead fruitful lives. In this way, if you and I abide in the linkage through the Holy Spirit to Jesus with the Father, we will be on any given day of the same mind. Amen? We will be on the same wavelength with the Holy Spirit to Jesus and the Father, we will be in communion with them. You will know the will of the Father. You will keep his commandments. You will be visibly known as disciples of Jesus Christ by your fruitful, fruitful lives. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit promise they will be with you until the end of the age, until the end of your life, abiding in you and with you and you with them. Pray with me, would you?